Hello, tentative listener. We're looking for well-rounded designers to join our teams in Austin, Boston, London, Raleigh-Durham, New York, and San Francisco, who are interested in growing their design and consulting skill set over time. As a designer at ThoughtBot, you collaborate with developers and clients to turn ideas into great products that people love to use and help grow successful businesses. ThoughtBot works with companies in every step of the process to help identify and solve problems. We lead and participate in product design sprints, build high-quality apps, and then deploy them. We use emerging and effective technologies and methods on both internal and client projects. We believe there is a better way to work, and we want to find it and share it with as many people as possible. Visit thoughtbot.com jobs to learn more about working at ThoughtBot and to apply. I'm really good at hand-waving on this podcast. <laughs> Everyone can tell. <laughs> That's like That was like a oh. Muppet hand-waving. That's how, how else do you hand-wave? Much Jazz more hands. dignified. Yeah, I guess we could practice our hand-waving. Sparkle motion. <laughs> Is that like jazz hands going up? Yeah, instead, it's like this. Instead of circles, mm-hmm. you go up? Yeah, you have to like move your fingers, move your digits. Okay. What is jazz hands just going down? I don't know. Or is that not a thing? It's like, it's like Fosse. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Tentative. <laughs> We're learning jazz. We're, we're doing jazz hands. One of the things that we should probably do is have you introduce yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> before, uh, before we dive into too much. <laughs> I'm just Kyle's weird friend. My name, is, my name is Elena, and I am a designer at the Boston office at ThoughtBot, 41 Winter Street, where everything is happening. So what are the, the topics that you have lined up for us? Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm on a, an interesting project right now that is coming to a close. And we've had some different designers and developers on, but the developer I've been working with the closest is my pal, Edward. He's great. He's in the Boston office. And I wrote down topics of things that we talk about a lot throughout this entire project. <laughs> So this project is a lot of new things for me. It is built in Electron. It is TypeScript and it is React. So like React, but but TypeScript flavored. <laughs> so there's a lot of new things at once. Yeah, never done any of those things. I learned a lot. And then the other thing that we integrated into it that I would like to talk about is a thing called Storybook. Kyle, have you heard about Storybook? <laughs> Is it like what I read to my kids every yeah. night? Yes. <laughs> that is one definition. <laughs> I've like turned into this old curmudgeon. <laughs> I have, I have, it's a, something to do with React, right? Yes. Uh, and flows, how you generate flows. Yeah, it's a way to define patterns and components. It's basically a way to make like a style guide or a component library. But the difference with Storybook versus a lot of other pattern libraries and generators and scaffolding tools to make make these pattern libraries is that Storybook uses the actual live component that you're using in the code. So if I make a button component and I'm using it in my project and I put it over into Storybook, any kind of changes I make to that original button component get changed over where I'm defining it in Storybook, where I'm talking about it a little bit more and talking about its use cases and everything like that, which is really great because I feel like one of the things I've always had issues with keeping up with any kind of component libraries is that I have to like 
update it in two places, and that sucks. Mm-hmm. It's usually more than two places. Yeah. Too. <laughs> A smattering of places. <laughs> yeah. But it's been interesting. I think there are a lot of things where you can add on um, these like decorators or add-ons. So if you want to do accessibility testing on all of your components across the board, you can add on an ally decorator and it will tell you if you have like a color contrast issue on a component or if you're missing like a rule or like all that good stuff. And there's like, there's a bunch of different add-ons and it's open source enough that if you wanted to create your own custom add-on, which I don't, (laughs) I just use other people's. (laughs) It's pretty nice. Whenever I pull in a new tool, I try to think of like, what are the best places and uses for this tool? Mm -hmm. And what are some of the places where I wouldn't necessarily use it? So I guess, can I ask you both of those? Like where would Storybook be used best? And where, what are some projects or some situations where you probably would not use Storybook? Right. That's a great question. I mean, it's for React. So use it on a Re- <laughs> React project. <laughs> Maybe like not other projects uh, that aren't React. <laughs> I would say use it in a situation where you are creating a lot of components and that you're trying to make a strong design system. Whereas, I mean, if you're making sort of like a one-off site where it's sort of like, you know, maybe there's like a button or two and maybe one styling, you probably don't need it. You probably you probably don't need any kind of like real pattern library apart from maybe some like brief documentation on how to use things. So this is good if you have like a really large system that you want to document. It's also great if you're working with other designers or if you're doing like a handoff to a client mm-hmm. that has um, a design team or a front-end team and you want them to know the use cases of the components. Do you know how many components that you have? You you said like a lot versus a little. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What is that threshold? (laughs) I don't know. You you feel it out. Well, there's like components and then there's like the sub variations of those components. So like there's like a button component, but then I have like, there's like the primary versus the secondary versus tertiary. There's full width versus ones with icons. So there's like a bunch of different variations. And I have ones that are icons. Let's see. I would say like at least like 10 to 12 other components that I'm describing in this storybook environment. I feel like that's like significant enough putting it in this environment feels good feels like the right thing to do does storybook give you a view with all of the components and how they're working together they are more individual but you can link between them if you want to they also includes something called visual testing (laughs) which we're using on the thoughtbot site right now so if you want to if you change something within the component, like a color or a width or whatever, you want to see which parts it's affecting, which pages, because it could be, this button component could be on like 20 pages. (laughs) Did I break anything? (laughs) Let's find out. (laughs) Yeah, I think we have it started getting that visual regression testing done Mm -hmm. on on thoughtbot.com, but certainly for like longer running projects that you're making wide wide changes to, it's it's really important. How do you feel when Percy yells at you? Has Percy yelled at you? <laughs> no, I haven't, I haven't touched the code on thoughtbot.com. <laughs> I feel like there are much smarter people that are tackling that problem. And I'm like, uh, as someone who hasn't really written that much HTML and CSS over the last like two years, 
Uh, do I want to be like doing that? So far, the answer has been no. <laughs> Things are scary. <laughs> no, I just think that other people will do a much better job than me. <laughs> Don't knock yourself down, Kyle. You're doing great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I sort of cut you off a little bit on where it's good, but we also didn't talk about where you wouldn't use it other than like on a non-React project. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't use it like on a smaller site, like a one-off site. You know, like those like marketing one-pager sites. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't use it on a site where I feel like if I really drilled down and made things into their smallest parts, like I would only end up with like less than five items, like a button, a CTA, a hero, something else, like nothing beyond that. Because it feels like it'd be overkill. Yeah. In that case, React might also be overkill. Yeah, that that too. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if you're using React, perhaps that's why you'd be using Storybook because you're working on a bigger project. But, you know, think yeah. about these things. <laughs> Should we be trying to, like, integrate something like this into our other technologies? What do you mean? Like... If there isn't something that exists like this, sh should we be bringing it to Rails or Phoenix Elixir? Or um, maybe it's not possible because they're not front-end frameworks? Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't really like poked around to see what's available for that kind of thing. I think the nice thing about Storybook is it's like so plug-and-play. Though I did find that it's not as plug-and-play with something within Electron. Mm -hmm. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for various reasons. But yeah, if there's anything out there that's like so plug and play that you can just add it as a package and start it up and start documenting things, I think that's it's worthwhile to start documenting things as you design. That's the other thing is I think it forces you to start, you know, documenting your design as you're designing instead of all at the end, which is what mm -hmm. I tend to do. <laughs> do. It's like, "Oh, it's handoff time." <laughs> <laughs> Got to make sure I've written everything down. <laughs> yeah. And a place to give it to another designer. Yeah. Whether that's like, you know, someone on our team or handoff to the client. I think especially handoff to the client if their team is not like directly involved in the day-to-day -day of mm -hmm. your design and your architecture and everything. You want to have some kind of source of truth for them to look at. Yeah. It's a little bit easier for them. That's better than usually I just like, eh, they'll figure it out. <laughs> they got it <laughs> I feel like I'm like super persnickety about architecture and my code and I want to hope that <laughs> they look at my notes but I, I also know the reality of that like probably things are going to go exactly how I've structured them yeah I think you're probably a glass half full person and I might be a glass half empty person whereas like I'm I'm going into it and I'm like eh this is gonna all fall apart at some point and it's going to be <laughs> need to be rewritten so <laughs> well then again maybe in that scenario they come back to us for more work <laughs> so the trick is to getting more clients kids is just to not document anything and force them to come <laughs> <laughs> I think on a lot of my more recent, the projects that I have been on, there hasn't been a team that we're handing it off to. And mm. I think that's probably influenced that. So like there hasn't necessarily needed to, to like live on. <laughs> it probably, it is living on. It's just like the documentation part was, was not important to the client or me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, it definitely takes up time. Yeah. I'm one of those people that has like the most messy, like when I was using Photoshop, like everything was just a copy of a copy and, and now a sketch or Figma, it's just like still a hot mess. Layer two, copy, copy, yep. copy. Exactly. Oh, I feel like I always start out with those layers. Like I, I make them all nice and pretty and I describe things really well and I organize things. And then like two days later after I've continuing along on this design journey, I just stop caring. <laughs> For a lot of the things I, I, in the same vein, like a lot of the things I'm doing are sort of like, I'm doing it and then it's basically throwaway. Like mm. they're not things that are going to live on. And so I feel a little bit better about that, but I've just built up this really bad habit now. Like if there are Figma documents that will live on, I probably <laughs> need to put in extra effort to like think through how I'm naming things and that I'm naming things. <laughs> like, I mean, even when you're the only one working on it later on, I tend to be not nice to my future self. <laughs> I dive back into these files and I'm like, what does this mean? I don't even know what I was thinking here. I mean, that also happens in code too. I think I always wonder about the time I should buffer in or pad in to any project for any kind of like cleaning up and especially for like refactoring things. I think refactoring comes into play of like, I just did this quick and dirty or I did this to make it work just to move along in the project, but I need to go back and make this a little bit more maintainable and scalable. And how do I justify taking the time to do that when I need to get this project out the door? Yeah, I think the way that I've done that in the past is putting another card into Trello or whatever project management tool we're doing. Mm. That is like refactor this thing. As I know, I'm writing it as quick as possible to get it out the door. I'm like. <laughs> I don't know what the best way is for this right now, but, and I don't have enough time to think through it, but like that's something that needs to be done in the future. Right. So creating a card and documenting that. Yeah. I have a laundry list of refactors on my current projects. Of <laughs> <laughs> Maybe redo all of these things. <laughs> Just take a look. Yeah. You mentioned uh, working with Edward, and I think ThoughtBot's sort of unique in the way that we have designers and developers working together. Oh, yeah. How is that relationship different at ThoughtBot than, you know, some of your previous experience? And I guess, how is it better? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's actually pretty similar to my previous experiences where I was working alongside a developer in that I was literally sitting right next to them. But I honestly feel like that's been the best way for me to learn and also for me to problem solve and I was reading up on this article. I'd posted it in our design channel about the hot potato process. of <laughs> <laughs> uh, When you're taking your project or you're building a feature or something, and it might be like a designer working with a developer. And instead of like this waterfall flow of like, I design a thing and then I hand it off to the developer and like hope everything goes well. We actively talk about how to best implement something. And there's this back and forth of, okay, let's let's talk about the styling a little bit and talk about the UI and the experience. And, oh, hey, like engineer person, can we talk about some of the behaviors here and how to best implement that and tossing it back and forth until we get to a point where this like feature is complete, both on the design and the development side. And sitting right next to someone <laughs> is probably the best way <laughs> to do that. I mean, I think, you know, we do a lot of remote work too with developers that are in different offices and that's been fine too. But I think a lot of it 
you know, we end up video chatting or having having some kind of synchronous conversation around it, I think, has made things smoother when it comes to developing a feature. Yeah, I really like the hot potato analogy because that <laughs> definitely mimics the way that, that I've worked with our developers in the past. And it's sort of funny, like how that happens through different tools too mm. and across different tools. So as you mentioned, like just having conversation in real life, but also like how it happens on a PR. Like we have a bunch of newer developers here that haven't worked on projects with a designer at ThoughtBot. And one of the questions was like, how does that happen in terms of like styling a PR versus building the functionality? Mm. I'm like, well, it's not always the same. (laughs) I've had projects where like, I have uh, an experience in mind and I'll just sketch it out and developers will start to build it and then I'll go in and start to style it. And I've had projects where I've created a branch and styled a thing that's static and they've gone in and sort of made it work. Mm-hmm. And both of those sort of work. <laughs> yeah. And I think some projects, I mean, I think most of my projects have been a mishmash of those two things of, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we're doing a developer first feature and sometimes we're doing a design first feature that's static just kind of depends on where you are on the project sometimes i'm ahead of the developer sometimes i'm behind them so yeah i think for our developers like all of the ones that i've worked with and know of they're very cognizant of the design well more specific the product design and the the user experience not necessarily how it looks visually but how people are achieving goals and outcomes and the experience of getting to that outcome And because of that, even if a developer is taking on a feature first, they're thinking through it with design as the the intent, (laughs) the intent of design. I think that the the great thing about our developers here is, yeah, that they have fluency in design and user experience and that they're a part of the process. They're a part of user testing. They're a part of, you know, if we're in a design sprint, they're a part of that. So they know the foundations and the reasoning behind certain features and why things are designed the way they are. And so it's great to be able to have someone to have those design-minded conversations with that can also help me translate that into something <laughs> that's functional. <laughs> yeah. And also talk we can talk about like the constraints of things of like I might have an idea of what the constraints are, but they might have like a totally different idea of what those are from an engineering perspective and having that conversation I think is super valuable to creating something that's successful, both from like an engineering standpoint, like maintainability and code standpoint, and also from like the user end. So how do you integrate jazz hands into your process? Oh, every day. I start out with jazz hands. (laughs) I end the day with jazz hands. It's funny you say that though, working on a project with someone for so long. So speaking of Edward, this is my second project working with him but they've been in like in a row. So I've been on a project with him for an almost an entire year of just me and him. (laughs) (laughs) So you develop a rapport. Sometimes it includes jazz hands. Sometimes it includes weird mouth noises that you make at each other, (laughs) (laughs) but it's fun. It's always great to get to know different people. I feel like the most fun that I've had uh, working on projects is with someone. It's usually like a two-person project. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I know both designers and developers have arguments against that. But a two-person project where it's me and a developer just like cramming on an application, essentially like it follows what it sounds like you and Edward are doing. It's just like you build this rapport and a working style together and it just becomes a lot more fun. Yeah. I think... 
you kind of have like this weird mind meld (laughs) (laughs) after a certain point. You know how the other person's going to help you with something or with how they're going to respond to something. It just makes communication a lot easier because you can assume what they're going to say (laughs) pretty much all the time just because you're just so used to that person. Yeah. But it's nice having someone that that you're comfortable with just in like a work culture or anything like that. So it makes learning a lot easier because you don't feel like you're going to be judged. It's going to be like a silly fun time. It also makes those like those hot potato moments a lot easier. Yeah. To use that analogy, to be able to throw (laughs) throw a hot potato back and forth, you know exactly when, when to throw, when the other person's ready to catch. Oh yeah. Well, I also think, you know, I struggle with really expanding upon what I mean by something or what I mean by a design. I'm like, yeah, like the jewelry thing, like where you do this and that and use a lot of hand motions. There's jazz hands again, but having someone who you worked with so much that just like understands what you mean. And I was like, oh yeah, like you mean this and let's make that just makes things a lot easier because I don't have to over explain or I don't have to really talk myself back and think about exactly what I'm saying, which is probably like not always the best thing. Like I should have that skill, (laughs) but it's nice having someone be able to interpret your nonsense. Yeah. I mean, that that kind of skill is awesome for when you need to be able to convince someone of whatever design direction or product Mm -hmm. direction, but when you don't have to, and someone can just just like intuit what you're talking about. We use the word zhuzh here zhuzh. a lot. Zhuzh. <laughs> like zhuzh it up. Yeah. And so Sam and Don, who have both been a part of this podcast, have previously said that a lot. And they sort of like educated me on zhuzh. And so now like <laughs> it's taken on its own meaning. <laughs> so like I feel like we could just say, oh, that piece over there needs some zhuzh. Some zhuzh. And, you know, same mind meld. We, we understand. <laughs> How would you spell zhuzh? <laughs> this, is, this has been a hot, hot debate. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't spell zhuzh. I'd only say it. Okay. Would you say it's sort of like Prince where there's just, you know, there's just like an icon for it? I mean, icon there, formally there are known different... As <laughs> the icon that would, like an emoji, a zhuzh emoji. Maybe mm-hmm. it's the, like the chef kissing. Mm. It's like you've achieved zhuzh. Maybe it's a chef kissing plus sparkle emoji, something like that. Yeah, sparkle emoji. That would be a good zhuzh. (laughs) I don't use that enough. The sparkle emoji? Yeah. That's one of my most commonly used emojis. That's a good emoji. I use it in place of like air quotes or I think a lot of people use like they surround their words with like tildes just to kind of be like, oh, it's so magical. It's so great. Like to kind of, I don't know. That's like a sarcasm. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. But I feel like sparkle emoji is a very versatile emoji. Yeah. What's your most used emoji? I don't even know. Look I, in your I, app. I am going to look at my <laughs> phone. My most used emoji right now is the eye roll emoji. Oh, wow. Boom. <laughs> what does that say about you, Kyle? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I often use the grimace emoji as well, like the teeth bearing one. I don't use that as much anymore. The other emojis that I use are the nerdy emoji. Mm. Mostly like my emoji usage is to make fun of myself. So <laughs> I have grimace, heart eyes, clap. <laughs> Poop emoji, of course. 
That's important. And you haven't had your baby yet, so that's impressive. <laughs> I have a lot of friends with babies, so poop emoji comes up a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sparkle. Sometimes it's poop between two sparkles. <laughs> I think sparkle just makes everything magical. <laughs> There we go. Now yep. we have our, our podcast title. We can wrap this up. <laughs> Weren't you, you, maybe I'm making this up of Google Calendar events having emojis in them. Oh, yeah. You did exactly what you're talking about, which exactly. is I think you put sparkles in between the title. And I was just like, my mind was blown. <laughs> I just feel like it just makes it like happy. It did. I was just like very excited about that meeting. <laughs> I was like, oh, I need to do this for all of my meetings now. And of course, I've yet to do it. (laughs) I have made meetings, titles that are just emojis. Like they have no words in them. Just to kind of screw with people, see if they they know what I'm talking about when I invite them to something. Or I feel like it entices people to come to a meeting more because then, you know, like, oh, does, you know, knife, sparkle, crystal ball, what does that mean? I don't know. I guess I'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) So you really go like very... Uh, with the knife, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> I mean, it's like abstract art, you know. Yeah, it's all up to interpretation. It's, it's telling a story, but you don't really know what the story is. Exactly. That's why I, I love just, emoji so much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I now need to like go through and rename all my calendar invites. <laughs> I think I need to make my emoji on my computer like just much more accessible. Yeah, there's a lot of people who have, they have different tools sets for it, like mm-hmm. um, text expanders or Chrome extensions if they're just using it in the browser. But yeah, it's it's hard if you don't know the name of the emoji. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I'm using it on my phone, at least, I use text replace often. Like I know if I type in the word poop, the poop <laughs> emoji will come up on my quick replace. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I go about searching for it. But it's hard if you don't know like the name of it or if you don't know what's associated with it. Mm-hmm. I do that same text replacement. And it's also hard if you don't know the name of it. It's also, I think you have to pull up in different apps the right panel. And I don't know, like in Slack, it's wonderful because you can just start sort of searching for things. And one right. of my favorite things to do is like searching in the ThoughtBot Slack with all of the custom emojis that we have. <laughs> wonderful have you joined or have you seen the channel slack itself i know of it because it's so wonderful and it creates (laughs) emoji (laughs) for our listeners out there slack itself is our channel mostly for requesting and creating new slack emojis because we're always in need of new slack emojis but it's pretty great Usually, like, I'll just voice my new hopes and dreams for emojis into the the ether of whatever channel I'm in. And usually it's someone who is a big, prominent member of Slack itself. Will <laughs> Eric Bailey, another designer at the Boston <laughs> office, is a great resource on Slack itself. He often will take charge and make that emoji for you. Nice. I think he has a few templates he uses, too. <laughs> Maybe I'll join that just to have Eric make me a bunch of. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite new one that came up was sobbing heart eyes. So heart <laughs> eyes with like the two like streams of tears coming down uh-huh. for something so cute. You have to sob. Yeah, I think that's a very needed emoji. 
I just love it so much. Cool. Well, I think we're at about time. Okay, great. Before I tell people all of the normal things, I ask people uh, that have joined me to like share where people can get in touch or if there's something that you want to promote or things like, I don't know, Twitter handles, Instagrams or emails, whatever you want to share or whatever you don't. Sure. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter where I don't tweet. I just retweet things. <laughs> I, don't, I don't tweet original content. At Elena Natario. We'll write it in the, the show, show notes because I'm not going to spell that out for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you can also follow me on Instagram where I don't post anything about code or work or anything really, mostly just pictures that I take of other people. Sometimes my dog. Sometimes there's a good Instagram story there. So those are my main areas. And then you can also email me. But, you know, who wants to do that? Yeah. Everyone loves a good dog Instagram. I agree. I think most of my Instagram feed is just dogs at this point, and I love it. <laughs> I've curated it well. You've done a good job. Yeah. This is episode 80. You can find the show notes with Elena's Instagram and doc pictures at tentative.fm slash 80. You can follow us on the Twitter at tentative.fm. Email us at hosts at tentative.fm. And if you like our podcast, you can rate it on iTunes. And if you don't, you can go on Twitter and tweet at Elena. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> that was the only thing you sounded sure of. <laughs> I think that's all. Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, it can be. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to end my week. Good Friday. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. Join our team dedicated to creating products people love to use. With open positions at our studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, come discover a better way to work.